Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malt House Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about tabletop games, board games, reindeer games, beer, and so much more. I am your host, Haley, the yellow player, the host of Malt House Games, and with me today is my <laughs> lovely assistant, Delton Brack. Hello. Today, we are going to talk about board games, and we are going to drink beer, as always. But let's tell some stories first. Delton, how was your week? Uh. <laughs> Did I do a good job? Your cadence is so different than mine. It's just weird to hear and be like, when, uh, when do I come in? It's NPR versus Seth Rogen. Uh, kind of? Yes. Uh, that's, I'll take it. It's fine. Uh, my but week- which one's which? That's the question. My week was good. I can't think of anything crazy this week. Uh, it's been a pretty calm week. I've been tired. We've been tired. Uh, that's really it. Have we, am I missing something? We've had so much fun this week. Isn't that baseline? Yeah, I guess that's true. We do have really fun. <laughs> that's the problem. We went to Danielle's concert today. We did, and it was really neat to see Danielle's piece that she, uh, I almost said produced, which is almost correct. She composed for this duet to play, which was really cool. Danielle's an amazing human being. She is a therapist just like me, went through the same program, but she also has a degree in music composition and like makes orchestra pieces. Very talented. Like creates them, which is amazing. Tough. I would never want to do that. It seems like a lot of work. We had a wonderful date night last week. We did. And we got to eat pizza. Yep. Honestly, I don't remember what all's happened since last week. Uh, Like, I can't remember if since the last episode was when you finished The Witcher or if it was before that. Uh, I just can't remember much. (laughs) It feels like we've done so much. But we've also been trying to take time off from doing so much. Probably because I've been having an existential crisis. You really have. And that's just throwing a wrench into everything. Yeah. So I have this happen probably once every five to six years where I just have an existential crisis that I have to mitigate and manage. The last time I was 17, so I guess I was like 11 years ago, I got really into Thoreau and like wanted a cabin in the woods to like write my own life story and manifesto and outlook on life because I thought everybody in the world needed to know 17-year-old Haley's hashtag deep thoughts. And lately I've been reading some new uh, therapy manuals because I want to be an informed practitioner. I want to be up to date on the research and the literature. And there's this new therapy perspective that I just fell in love with. And now I, I am like preaching it like the gospel to all my other therapist friends who will listen to me. And I'm applying it to my own life, which is really good. But it's just part of the existential crisis, Haley, and she will go away soon. I hope so, because I can't help you. <laughs> we can only help ourselves. Dun, dun, dun. That's not, that's not true. We can, we can rely on other people. That's okay. Friends, family, therapists alike. It's just great. Yay. And then we went to my niece Lakin's third birthday party. It was a narwhal-themed birthday party. It was glorious. She beat the crap out of a pinata but didn't break it at all because she sadly inherited her Aunt Haley's athletic ability and reluctance towards hurting animals. Not a bad thing for a child to have. The reluctance part, not necessarily bad athletic ability. I turned out fine. I mean, that existential crisis may say different, but... Crises. (laughs) There's multiple? Yes. Guess I'm reevaluating my values every few years or so. I think a lot more people could do that. It's probably a good thing. Politicians. It's it's probably would be a good thing. 
But yes, the narwhal-themed birthday party where we bought her non-narwhal-themed presents. But Because uh, we gave her her narwhal-themed presents at Christmas time because I have no self-control. Yeah, we like to give her presents early because she's a small child and she loves presents. So it's great. But she's also one of those kids who are really appreciative. You could like hand her a sock like Dobby and she would just hug it and hold it and think it's the best thing in the world. Like you can give this kid anything. She's like, thanks. And so you're like, I'm going to buy you 40 gifts now. She's very sweet. And the party was fun. It was nice to see them. It was just a long drive out and a long drive back, but it was worth it. And now Delt and I are sitting here in matching jammy pants, ready to give you some great information about board games and share a beer. I think that is where we're at today. Uh, Before we open the first beer, I'm going to go ahead and shout out our Patreon backers, which is Alan, Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. I almost said Jethry and Catherine again. I keep almost switching them. Uh, Thank you guys for supporting us on the podcast and helping us get better equipment and things like that. If you would like to be like them, patreon.com slash malthousegames. I do want to say a big thank you to Alan and Sean from the Tuesday Night Games crew and the Tuesday Night Podcast, which, as I've said before, is one of the reasons I started podcasting. They are ending the regular weekly podcast with this last episode 200. They have a large 200-plus episode backlog, because some of the episodes are not numbered, of great content if you want to go listen to that. But they are going to stop with the weekly and move into doing more focused content and really dive in creatively into different avenues and release that whenever their schedule allows. So just good luck on those adventures. I'm sure I'll hear about it. And it's sad to see the weekly show go, but I know that good things are in store. But I just wanted to give a shout out and say those were a great 200 episodes. And, you know, thanks for the quality content that inspired me along the way. Right. We're really grateful for them for many other reasons. I'm really excited to see what 2020 holds for the Tuesday Night Games people. Definitely. Now that we're done with that part of it, let's move into the first beer before we get into the game. Today is a beer from Stone Brewing Company. We've had, I think we had the Angry Bastard Ale. Yes. One time on the show. Really early on in the podcast. But we haven't had many others, uh, but more and more keep coming out. And I've heard a ton about this one, which is the Tangerine Express IPA. Side note, my grandma Joyce, her favorite movie is the Pineapple Express. Good side note. This is, <laughs> this is an India Pale Ale with tangerine and pineapple. It is 6.7 alcohol by volume. Now, this is a decent amount of text. It is silver on a dark green can. It's a little weird to read, but I'm going to go for it. Hold on to your pants, everyone. Before you say that, Grandma Joyce was also the one who taught me how to roll a joint out of receipt paper when I was 16 at a Beatles tribute show. Thank you, Grandma Joyce. She's a good lady. So, on the can, it says, Imagine the tropical haze of a lazy afternoon into evening. Your official duties for the day have been to maybe take a hike to a secluded waterfall. Perhaps grill something. Definitely chill with plenty of sand between your toes. And crack a phenomenal beer to complement the experience. Check, check, check again. And, pst, check. That's my opening a beer sound. It actually has that on the can. Welcome to our Vacation Transportation Express. This ain't no just-add-juice approach. This one is for adults. We use bountiful whole tangerine puree, which brings pithy, crisp bitterness with the citrus flavor. In addition to the complexities of the tangerine, the likes of which you can only get by using the whole fruit, we judiciously employ just a hint of whole pineapple 
For a back note, you'd likely not even pick it out of the mix if we didn't tell you it was there. We're not looking for a sweet concoction to appease the I want my beer to taste like fruit juice crowd. This is Stone. We like our IPAs to taste like IPAs. Big, bold, and not for kids. That's the longest text I've ever read on a can. God dang. <laughs> Let's hope this is as good as I've heard it is and as they say it is. It makes a funny noise as it pours. That's just my technique right now. Impressive. So far, it's not all over the rug. Shade. So let's give this beer a look. It's a nice, hazy-looking IPA. It's got a good color to it, pretty light on color. Which a lot of stone is. From what I remember, the stone that I have had, it's always really hazy, and it's always really... This doesn't sound appetizing, but it is a really pungent flavor. Like it said, they want an IPA that's big and bold. Yes. So they want that IPA... Like you said, pungent is a good word, though, for some of the hops used in IPAs. So let's give this a sniff. Smells like beer. It smells like an IPA. It has that citrusiness to it. I do smell a little bit of, like, orange. I'm guessing that's the tangerine. Haley, go ahead and take your first taste. I'm going to comment through it. She's taking a sip, lowering the glass, looking down at the floor. She swallows and thinks about it. Her eyes open. She smiles. She frowns. She smiles again. And what's that mean? I feel like I just took a bite of an actual orange peel. Like it has the, the sweetness of the orange peel with the bitter as well. Like you're just chewing on an orange peel. That is weird because it's very sweet initially. Like, okay, this is a weird mouthfeel. I'm going to take another drink so I can better explain it and see if the experience happens twice. That's chewing on an orange peel. Okay, so this is weird. The mouthfeel is clean, good carbonation, a little bit of like foamy on the back end. Nothing too different, but there's a weird experience I'm tasting on my tongue, which is when I drink a drink of this, I get sweet. The minute I start the swallow process, the bitterness hits. However, the bitterness is only on the outsides of my tongue, by my teeth. It's like a kiss of bitterness, like bitter. Yeah, but I only taste it on the outsides of my tongue. The very center of my tongue, all the way back, is just the sweet. But the, is, is yours? Yeah. Your experience is the same? I wonder if that's something to do with the way our taste buds are organized or if, like, this beer just hits it weird. It is really interesting. But, I mean, it's not like the Arrogant Bastard where the bitter is like, the bitter is going to overtake your entire mouth for the yeah. next four to five seconds. It's like a bitter. <laughs> it's really good. This is really solid. Super good IPA. It's clean. It's got that, I mean, it's 6.5 alcohol by volume, so it's a good percentage of alcohol. Good flavor. I really like it. That's Stone's Tangerine Express IPA. I think that's a really good beer. Seconded. So now that we're done opening the beer, I say let's dive into this game and get this podcast moving. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. All right. So the game for today is one that we backed on Kickstarter. I say we, I backed on Kickstarter at some point when I saw it was coming out with a new print. And we received it a little while ago. We've played it several times now. And we finally decided to bring it to the podcast. This is Pret a Porter, third edition from Portal Games. The game was designed by Ignacy Trevicek. The artwork is Quanchai Moria. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize. Some of these Czech names are very hard to pronounce for me because Czech is an interesting language. The only reason I know Ignacy Trevicek is because I've heard it so much online and I think I've got it. <laughs> Side note Grandma Joyce is Czech. There you go. The other two artwork uh, artist names are Matthijs Kopak and Masij Janik. 
Uh, graphic design is that Matthias Kopak and Rafael Sisma, Sima, so I'm going to pronounce it. This is Czech is a very hard language for me because Z's are a lot of places, and I've just never looked at how it's supposed to be pronounced. Uh, production manager is Gregors Poleka, and the project manager is that Rafael Sima, and then rules is Matt Dimbrick, Vincent Salzio, Gregors Poleka, and Evis Torigny. I think I got them all. Uh, the main artwork that you notice on this game is definitely the artwork from Quan Chi Moria. The cover is fantastic if you have not seen this new reprint. So, Pret a Porter. That is a French term for what is essentially, was it ready to wear? Yeah, like ready to wear. If you get clothing that's Pret a Porter, whenever you buy it off the rack, you can, you can wear it. And so if it's not Pret a Porter, it's something that technically needs to be tailored. Like you buy a suit, if you get a custom suit, you go into like men's warehouse or wherever people with more money buy their suits then you have to get it tailored to fit you but or taken in to fit you. But Preda Porter's like, this is ready to wear for you. Okay, so this is Preda Porter. And being that that's about clothing ready to wear, this is an economic style game where you're essentially making things to put in fashion shows to make the most money. So in this game, you are going to be placing pawns on the actions you want to take one after another, resolving those actions from the top of the board to the bottom, and then after so many rounds of those actions and upkeep, you'll be having a fashion show where you take your collections of completed designs, which is completed means those designs have the appropriate threads, which is a different colored resource on them. You take them to the fashion show, you get points for those things, and you compete for things like prestige and the highest person in trendiness and things like that. You take the money and you move into the next round. And you do that throughout the game and you will go through Four different seasons of the year, and the person with the most money and points at the end is the winner. But at the end of the game, money is a direct one-to-one to points. Do you want a life hack? Go ahead. This comes from working in retail. If you uh, buy Pret-a-Porter clothes, which is, I'm pronouncing that terribly because I'm from Western Oklahoma. Yep. And uh, so if you buy clothes, which are basically any clothes that you buy, like, uh, or that we buy, like from Old Navy or from American Eagle, so on and so forth. You look at the tag, you'll be able to see what season the uh, clothing was produced for. So like my jeans, they say 12 spring. And so you can tell like exactly what season your clothes were produced. So that's why you can ask the company if they still have them. So it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. So what's the 12 and 12 spring? That means that it was produced in 2012 in the spring. Oh. They, they, have, they have it based on the quarters. Almost all clothing that you get from like... Uh, Old Navy, like I said, American Eagle, Air Apostle, uh, Banana Republic. You look on the tags and you can see uh, what basically season it was made for. Was this a spring line? Was this wet line? Which is, I think, pretty cool. That is pretty neat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, hey, so learn something new every day, right? <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, I don't buy jeans very often, as evidenced by me having a pair of jeans for the last eight years. That's very true. We don't buy jeans and stuff often at I all. I buy quality, dang it. We try to at least, right? All right. So the way this game is going to play, like I said, you place an action pawn. You do that for all of your action pawns. You resolve them top to bottom, left to right, along with a couple special actions. And then that's a whole working season. Uh, For a quick overview of the actions, you can take money from the bank as a loan. Then you can build some new buildings, hire some new workers, have some kind of upgrade that's going to get worse throughout the game. Uh, until it goes away, buy some designs, or get threads. Those are the basic actions of the game. There's, of course, tons of detail in there, but that's mostly it. 
this is a fairly complex game. The rulebook is not my favorite. There was a few issues going back and forth figuring some things out, but we got the hang of it, and luckily there is a great PDF online on BoardGameGeek that displays every card and gives you detail about the timing of those cards. Which was super helpful whenever we were first learning this game. It was so helpful when you were first learning because some of them you were like, well, this does this says during the, you know, during the fashion show, do this. Well, is that before you earn the points of the fashion show or after? Like the first time we played, we played the first season and we had to completely restart the game because we missed something. I can't even remember the rule that we missed, but we I don't remember. We referenced that PDF on Board Game Geek and we're like, oh snap, we were playing this completely wrong and it made a lot more sense after that. It really changed everything. So not the biggest fan of the rule book. However, you can get through it. It's fine. There's, you know, stuff online and people ask questions. Um, the game, like I said, is a little bit complicated. However, I'm not going to go into much more detail of the rules in terms of straight because I feel like it'll get bogged down. I've really enjoyed the game. I'll say that up front. Yes, I have too. I love that it's basically a mini economy. It really is because you're trying to fund your business, build new buildings, hire people like accountants and better tailors and graphic designers. and you're Marketers, tr- PR people. Exactly. Models. And you're trying to get upgrades that are temporary and they get worse as they go, but then they go away. You want to have that. You want to buy these threads, but you want to buy them cheaply. But sometimes you can't buy them cheaply from different vendors. Or you need quality threads. Or you need higher quality threads for some reason. And it's so interesting to approach because you could just go into massive debt to have a huge start, but then you have a massive debt to pay off. And that debt does accumulate interest. Yes, it does. One of the things I really enjoy in this game is that every time you hire somebody, every time you build a building, not only do you have to pay up front for buildings, but for people in buildings, they all have upkeep costs. You have to pay them. You have to keep the utilities on. Maintenance. So there's maintenance cost every single round of the game for everything new that you build. And every time one of your uh, either accountants or your PR people or your designers, uh, whenever they learn a new skill, you have to pay more to keep them on. Like you've trained them, yeah, but now they are so well trained and they have so many qualifications, you got to pay them more to keep them, which makes sense. They're more valuable. They're more valuable. Yeah, all the buildings and all of the people you hire, the employees, um, those all can be upgraded to a better side. So you can take your graphic design department and you can upgrade that department to have all new equipment, basically. And then that means your graphic designers, at some point in the game, you can flip them to be, you know, the next level graphic designer. And that means they're going to be worth more money, but they're also giving you a better benefit because they're, a, you know, a senior employee that's been there with experience. So there's some really neat elements to this game. And as you play it, you'll find little combos of things or ways that you like approaching the game. The hard part is there's only three cards of each style out at a time to purchase, except for designs. There's always four designs out. But I find it interesting, and it's nice that there is a selection there. The hard part for me is I always just want to take the accountants, because they give you money during upkeep, because they help you basically find ways to have money in the bank. Tax write-off. It's like a tax write-off. And so I end up getting two accountants and then upgrading them, and then I'm getting enough money to actually earn money every upkeep instead of pay in for bills. And that's really helpful, but then Haley over here somehow skyrockets past me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at it. Well, it's because I'm the daughter of a fashion designer. Maybe that's it. My mom really was a fashion designer in the 80s. She worked on the set of some show called Dynasty, which was a huge show uh, for fashion and for the intrigue and the drama between the rich ladies back in the 80s. And she also was a model for Calvin Klein in the boardroom. Like she would, during their board meetings when they're showing off new lines to the execs, 
she was one of the models who would show off in the the boardroom, the new lines. It's pretty neat. I wish I got some of those jeans. I wish you got some of the money. I wish I had some <laughs> of the like pairs of jeans too. That, that's I figured that's what you meant. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. But it's pretty neat. The the game's been fun to play. Uh, like I said, you basically you'll play you'll pick an action on the board you want to do. Let's say you want to buy a design and you put your little pawn down. Then your opponent can pick anywhere they want to go. So let's say they want to do something before that, which is uh, I think the one before buying a pawn is hiring a person. So they put their pawn on hiring a person. Now you place a pawn. Then you go from the top to bottom, left to right, and resolve those pawns on the board. And then some cards, some people, some buildings, some upgrades allow you to do things like getting thread for free, which you need to fulfill your designs to take them to the fashion show. And so it's nice that you can have all these different ways to like have little combos. I feel like this game is built on little bitty combos of things that help out. You're kind of like building your niche business. Like this is my business model for my business. Yeah. There are multiple different ways that you can run your business. You can take out loans, like Delton said, and start off hot. You can build slowly. You can risk. You can not risk. Like, there's many. You can, like, do, uh, you know, every piece of clothing that comes out, just make that. Or you can wait and tailor a certain line. There are many different ways that you can tailor your business, and I really like that. You can do it differently every time. I think one thing to say is, so far, we have never taken loans of our own volition. We have also never been forced to take a loan because we didn't have enough money to pay. So I don't know if we're just doing well or doing something wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But it's been pretty nice. We haven't had to do that. Because we're so jaded in real life with my student loans. We're like, I can't take on any more loans, even if it's imaginary. Shoot, maybe so. But there is a thing in this game where if you can't pay during upkeep, you then have to pay uh, by taking a loan, essentially. And taking a loan is very hard on you, and the interest to pay it back is much higher than it is if you take it out on your own. So being forced to take a loan is a very bad thing in this game. But it's been a neat game. Uh, The fashion shows are interesting. It's basically having a collection of one color. So the different colors are green, yellow, red, and blue of the different types of clothing. It's like sporty, professional, casual, and uh, dressy. And like like, uh, formal. Formal, Like a formal. And basically, you want to have a set. So you want two or three blue cards, and you want all the materials. So each of them are going to take two different colors of threads. You want all those threads filled on your cards to take them to the fashion show. And then you get points based on how many cards of the style. There's points on the cards themselves. You're going to get quality tokens. Those carry over to the next fashion show that you turn in for points. So it's a really interesting mechanic there of like a set collection kind of thing. But it's really neat, too, because every player gets their own, like, uh, specialty thing. So I could have a specialty of jackets. Haley could have a specialty of pants. So if we get a fashion a uh, design that is a pair of pants and that's her specialty, then that's going to give her some bonus quality or bonus points. I make some good ass pants. Good ass pants? Ass pants flash dance. There you go. That's a that's a line from a Beck song. Oh, had no clue. Of course it is though. Like what's not? Uncultured swine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Uh, but that's really just how the game's going to function. You're going to play stuff down. You're going to do this little economy and try to have the best fashion shows you can. Ooh, I should say one thing I enjoy about the fashion shows. Uh, the first fashion show you do, you compete in four different categories. The most quality, the most trendy, uh, the most something, and the most something. I can't think of the what it is right now, like most designs maybe. But you compete in four categories. The next time you go to a fashion show, there's actually two separate competitions of three categories a piece. 
And then after that, there's three competitions of two different categories a piece. And then after that, there's four competitions of one category a piece. So the very first fashion show, everyone gets points for everything, basically. And it's like first gets this many, second gets this many, or first and second and third get this many. Um, but it's kind of cool that you compete for a large amount of things up front. And then as the game goes on and as you start to specialize in different areas, then you'll be good at some shows and bad at others. Yes. So that's very interesting to me. And I really enjoy that because that's all shuffled and changed. And so depending on how you place the tiles out, which because those are all notated on tiles. Which varies game by game. Which varies game by game. So that's going to change up which categories come up when. But yeah, I think that kind of sums up everything for Predator Porter. I really enjoy the game. It's gorgeous. Uh, like I said, my only downfall to it is the rulebook's not the greatest. Uh, and I think that's probably it. It's just we had a little bit of trouble with it and some of the card-like timings. But if you can get over that and you can get the BGG uh, PDF, you're going to have a good time. It's really fun. I think so. I think it's a very good game. And the last time we played it, it was how long? An hour ten? Yeah, I think about that. So it's not, it's not that long for two players. Now, no. given that's two players. I have not played three or four, so I don't know how it plays at max count. But at two players, we really enjoy the game. It's still generally a tight game. Sometimes somebody's ahead in points, but you'll have enough money at the end to catch up. Uh, the spread can be large because the game's points do go so high. I mean, I think they've gotten into what, the three and four hundreds? If not, to the fives. So if you start the game out and someone's at 50 and you're at 10, that's not that big of a split. It's going to be okay. Slowly roll there, hopscotch. Yeah, you'll get a lot of money toward the end, but it's been a really interesting game. I recommend checking it out. You can find it around most places. It's a gorgeous, like, white and pink and a little bit blue box. Uh, definitely check it out. So that's Preda Porter from Portal Games by Ignacy Trevacek. One of the things we wanted to bring up, and I did mention this before, we got this game on Kickstarter, which will lead us right into the topic. But wait, Delton, before we get into the topic, we need another beer. So this beer is the second beer of the episode, of course, Nito Bandito from Deep Ellum Brewing Company. It's a Czech-inspired, hey, Czech-inspired, it works perfectly. Yeah. It is a Czech-inspired Mexican-style lager at 6% alcohol by volume. It is, says, brewed and bottled by Deep Ellum Brewing Company. They are out of Dallas, Texas. I'm trying to find some other text on this, and I can't find anything that's uh, discussing the flavor itself. Mexican-style lagers usually have a flavor that we're accustomed to. There are several of that style. Corona. That's a lager. So let's give this one a smell. It's got a nice, very... Uh, yours Ooh. is very clear. It was clear until the bottom of the glass Ooh, that's a very sweet smell it smells like pineapple that is super sweet smelling it does smell like pineapple too <laughs> smells very good how's the taste very crisp clean like a refreshing and more smooth than i thought not as carbonated it has the aftertaste of white bread i don't quite get that there is the yeasty aftertaste in this because there's not as many hops and there's honestly not enough of a Malt profile. That's what, like, it, it has the yeasty flavor, but it's yep. a soft yeasty flavor. And it's a very soft finish on the tongue with a little bit of sweet. It's white bread. I don't taste white bread. However, white I agree bread. with everything else. Uh, it's not too bad, though. The mouth feels, like Haley said, it's nice and smooth. It's gentle. It's not too stout. Uh, it's not very, like, pungent. I, uh, 
for any reason of hops or anything because it's a Mexican style lager. Uh, this would be good if it was hot, like a hot summer day. This is a good beer. I thought you meant the beer was hot. I was like, well, yeah, it'll be good. No, it's not hot. I mean, it's not super cold, but it's been sitting back here with us. It's very good. But it's pretty good. I like that. It's Nido Bandito from Deep Ellum. I feel like there's not as much to say about it as the Tangerine Express from Stone, but that's a more complex beer, and this is more straightforward. So there we are. All right, let's move to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. The topic is Kickstarters. So we wanted to discuss Kickstarter in this topic because Preda Porter was a Kickstarter game that I backed. Now, I know we've mentioned Kickstarter in this podcast several times, and at one point in the past, we talked about supporting small game companies. A lot of times that, that is through Kickstarter, which I mentioned then. Kickstarter, I think, is really great. Uh, because it really helps to get those who aren't affiliated with big companies out there and get their games funded. It's amazing. You've talked about how Kickstarter uh, is a huge platform for board games, and a lot of times board games are the top things that are being kickstarted, right? It's happening more and more and more. I can't remember the statistic year, but it was either 2017 or 2018 that Kickstarter, uh, the amount of money that went through Kickstarter, like 30% was tabletop category, which is a a massive amount of money. Uh, Now, something about Kickstarter that is uh, evident and people need to know about, if you haven't heard of Kickstarter, it is a crowdfunding website similar to Indiegogo or, oh, what's the one people set up for people that have needs? GoFundMe. Okay, GoFundMe. It's just like GoFundMe as well, except people put up a plan, they have a goal, and they have a funding goal they must, must reach by a certain amount of time. Usually it's a month or like 28 days. You can log in and pledge money. It does not charge you at that time. You pledge money. It fills up to say that so much has been pledged. Once the amount of days for that campaign is finished, it charges everybody the amount you've pledged. And then the creators of the game or uh, product are then supposed to take that money and use it to produce the game, get everything running, send you the copy at the discounted rate, and then go ahead and do whether it goes to retail or if it was just for Kickstarter, that process happens. And Elton says supposed to. Like with board games, we haven't had a single problem with items not being funded. We have not. But... It does happen. It does happen where, I guess, board game companies or other companies uh, don't get around to sending the game for one reason, reason or the other. Or they just take the money and run. Now, those companies are known about. People talk about them. They know to steer clear. So shame. a little bit of research goes a long way with Kickstarter. Kickstarter can be a great tool for companies that are trustworthy. They not only are able to produce a game and give it to you at a discounted rate with discounted shipping most of the time. And a lot of time, uh, Kickstarter, what they call stretch goals. I couldn't think of the term stretch goals. Kickstarter stretch goals, which is like if we make this much money over our funding goal, then we'll do special screen printed meeples or we'll do uh, an upgrade on the quality of the like card stock or we're going to have some an expansion we're going to throw in. Uh, I remember Rising Sun whenever you were backing that. It kept hitting stretch goal after stretch goal after stretch goal after stretch goal. Oh my gosh, there were like six stretch goals that it reached and I had to make more. That game uh, hit a ton of stuff and had a ton of backing. That's one of the Cool Mini or Not or Simon games. Now, that was a car payment. 
that really was a car payment after everything. I just didn't buy the art book. But that's, you know, that's me. Whatever. That's neither here or there. Everything's fine. Now, the thing with stretch goals, there's a whole episode you can have about that. Some people think that they're a bad thing. Some people think that they're a good thing. Uh, You know, that's neither here or there at the moment. But uh, it's something cool. As a backer, you can have an option at getting something somebody else won't get. That feels kind of special. feels kind of nice. You got in at the ground floor. Sometimes. Sometimes. And then sometimes they go ahead and sell it later anyway when they weren't going to. But this, this is some of first. the risk in Kickstarter. This is some of the stuff that happens. But with all these little like, you know, this could happen, this could, here's the good thing that comes out of Kickstarter. You get quality games at a lower rate than retail and you help the company get the game created and funded and printed and started basically from the beginning. Yeah, and so you could have somebody with just a really good idea who maybe isn't aligned with the company or maybe has an o- their own company that's smaller and they're, they're wanting to get their game out on the ground to get it, their company started. And this is a great platform for them to do so. Like a Pumpkin Patch from Brouhaha Games. That was funded by Kickstarter, right? Yep, that was here on Kickstarter, yeah. And so Travis's game, you know, we picked that up on Kickstarter. And, you know, it's been really, really fun. You never know the awesome games you're going to find on there. Just because they're not from a big company, it doesn't mean they're not going to be epic. Exactly. I mean, the, uh, Kickstarter is how Tuesday Night Games got two rooms in a boom. And that's not Lemonade. And World Championship Russian Roulette, they've all been through Kickstarter. Because people can get on and back it for a little cheaper, help them get the game printed and out, make enough money to the, then be able to order printings for retail, and it kickstarts these companies. It helps people out. Now, given we do not know the insides and out of the back end of this, how it is as a publisher, as a producer, as a game designer. So we cannot speak on those topics. However, for a lot of people, this is very helpful as a company. I know that this is how Jamie Stegmeyer with Stonemeyer Games, how they got games made. That's how Scythe originally came out. And I regretted not backing it, bought it at retail, and loved it and still thought, I wish I would have backed this and been in on the ground floor. So Kickstarter is a very cool company. Uh, like I said, we got Predator through Kickstarter. Even right now, I have it pulled up on my uh, TV that's in my room connected to my computer. Uh, Return to the Dark Tower from Restoration Games. Felt spoiled. Uh, maybe. Restoration Games make, uh, I guess now, Return to the Dark Tower. They did the new reprint of Downforce. They did Fireball Island. That's the, you know, the game, the name, Restoration Games. They're restoring older games to a newer, you know, fancier, nicer version. And Return to the Dark Tower has nine more days left. As of this releasing, it should have eight. It has earned $2.9 million, which is insane. It is 346% funded. Wow. So their original funding goal would it would normally say 100%. I don't know what that calculates to because big money and percentages, but you're, that's a you're lot of money. I'm not an accountant. You're a note accountant. That's different. I use a calculator all day. I go to Google and say this percentage of this and hit calculate, and we're good. Sometimes I cross multiply on paper with calculator because I'm that person. It's fine. Uh, the next thing's from Hero Forge 2.0. Hero Forge allows you to make custom miniatures and they print them for you and get them made and sends it to you. It's earned $1.9 million. Uh, Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. It's a new Cole Worley game with art by Kyle Farron coming out of later games. Uh, $847,000 pledge. It's got nine more days to go. There's a lot of big games. There's a new Star Realms Deluxe Nova collection coming out that's on here as well. 
Foundations of Ooh. Rome new board game. There's Here to Slay, a strategic card game, role-playing adventure in a dangerous new world. There's See, all kinds of stuff. I would much rather that one be like a another name for Preda Porter. Preda Porter expansion, Here to Slay. That would be a great one. <laughs> That's pretty good. But Kickstarter can be awesome. It's a way to find new games and help these companies get things put from paper into reality, essentially. Like we said, there are some downfalls that can come from it, but if you do your own due diligence and research the companies doing it, make sure they have performed and successfully delivered games in the past, it's a pretty low-risk endeavor at that point. It's just, you know, checking the companies and going from there. You're not really gambling. You're not really gambling as long as you know or do a little research or something like that. You know what I mean? But we like Kickstarter. We think Kickstarter's pretty cool. It's definitely a tool I've used a lot. Well, I say a lot. I've only backed maybe seven or eight things total. And it's been like, you know, that I backed That's Not Lemonade. And I backed Mothership. And I backed the Mothership expansion. And I backed another Mothership thing. Predaporter. I backed Predaporter and Rising Sun. And there was another game I can't think of right now that I backed. But I backed several things. Uh, coming up is going to be more stuff I want to back. Dang it. Eagle Griffin doing the new... I can't think of which game was it. Was it Baseball Highlights? No, the new oh, Kanban. Kanban, yeah. The new Kanban is going to be coming out in early February on Kickstarter. Which stay tuned for an episode on Kanban. Hopefully so at some point. Uh, but yes, so we really like Kickstarter. I think I feel like I've rambled on about it, but a lot of people, I'm surprised how many people don't know about it because of, it, of its prevalence in the board game industry. However, not everybody is as tied to the industry as some of us are in terms of like keeping an eye on it, watching it, talking to people about it. Board game Twitter. Exactly. Some people aren't so involved in that crap that can bog you, your day down sometimes. <laughs> What's up, board game Twitter? Y'all my friends. So I think that covers the topic for Kickstarter. Uh, hopefully you've become a little more enlightened to what Kickstarter is and uh, or at least are interested in going out there and looking and seeing what's about and seeing if it's something, if there's a, a game, a project that you want to get behind and back and get on the ground floor, get some extra special goodies for doing it, and hopefully help some creator get their dream out there, basically. Amen. Amen. Or woman. A woman. There you go. We nailed it. A person. That's probably better. A person. I like it. A living being. <laughs> A human being. <laughs> An alien. From space. They're I, green. They're from Mars. A alien. Our wow. listeners are gone. They're all gone now. <laughs> Everyone's we just gone. lost all of them. Let's move now into the question of the episode so we can get her wrapped up. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Bite Size Question. All right, so for the question today, we actually had a listener and somebody I've met personally send us a question that she said could be a topic or a question, and we decided a question would probably suit this for the best. I'm excited. So this is from Jennifer A. I'm not going to say her last name because I don't know how she feels about that, and I didn't message her, message her. However, Jennifer sent in, and she said, I've gotten really into games that are beautiful. Wingspan, Parks, Azul, Pandemic Iberia. I don't care much about winning these games so much as I love looking at the components. What games do you love because of the look slash art? And I thought that was a very good one because we've talked about art and how we appreciate good art, how good art can take a game from just something that's interesting and tie it into the theme enough that it actually improves your experience significantly. Like uh, Quantai Moria or Beth Sobel or... Or Ian O'Toole. Ian O'Toole. Or Kyle Farron. Yes. Any of these people that have you know this artwork that we just love, it does something 
when it's done well. I mean, uh, I'm also going to throw out because I love him so much, but Clemens Franz. Clemens Franz. I could not get that in my he brain. Has, like every Clemens Franz game, you can tell, oh, that's Clemens Franz. Oh, yep, that's Clemens Franz. I can almost always tell until it breaks away from his usual style and then I start to struggle, but I love Clemens Franz stuff. However, yes, I thought that was a really good one is what's a game that is so pretty that when you play it, you just, the artwork, the components, everything is so rewarding in itself. Who cares if you win or lose? It's just fun to experience looking and touching and feeling and playing. One for me is The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, Holding On. I absolutely love the cards that show the story of his life. I love them. I love to yes. try and I, I look at them and they're, they're beautiful for one, but then trying to place where they are and trying to figure out, okay, what is this in Billy's life versus where, where is this in the timeline of like Irish politics and whatnot. I absolutely love it. I just enjoy unwrapping the story. And there, there's still some cards that, you know, we haven't uncovered. And so I'm sure there's more of the story that we're missing, but oh my gosh, I love it. That is a very good one. It's fun to play, but yes, the cards and that artwork, every time we play it, it's like watching the story unravel in different ways. It's like watching a movie. Ooh. It's like watching The Witcher, where it jumps around the timeline as you go, and you're oh. trying to piece it together and make sense of this timeline and connect things. That and makes so much sense. <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, that is a fantastic answer, and it's, uh, we still need to finish the campaign of that game. I'm so sad we can never get past se stage three, but we'll do it soon. We'll get through it. For me... Uh, it's a really hard one to say, but honestly, I've been wanting to play this game. We played it at BGGCon once, and we have not played it since, and I want to play it because the reason I picked it was because the art, the reason we played it was because the art, and the reason I bought it for you is partially because the art, and it's Kung Fu Fight. I love it so much. We saw that at BGG. I was like, oh my goodness, uh, it's a ninja kitty and a monk puppy. It's so adorable. And then we played it and I loved it even more. And the components were adorable and cute. And Delton bought it for me for Christmas because he loves me. It's a actually a really cool game, which is why I bought it, obviously, because it, it's good. But it's so adorable and it's so cute. And the artwork is so neat that I just want to play it so I can look at it more. And that's been my feeling toward it lately. I just haven't gotten it down. So that one might be my biggest answer here. Uh, obviously, Preda Porter is gorgeous, and every time I play it, I'm finding myself observing the cards and all the different Quan Chi Moria art. Just the box is delightful. It really is. It's so good. Uh, also, like playing the new Stonemaier game, Tapestry. Tapestry is just this big game with these little buildings you move around, and those components just are just so fun to fiddle with and move around the board and put on your stuff, and it's just it's neat. And I agree with Jennifer. Wingspan is just adorable. It is a darling little game. Wingspan's also one. So, yes, I understand completely that artwork, sometimes it's better to just enjoy it and look at it than it is to worry about winning and just have fun in the experience because the artwork can put you in that, like, you know, frame of mind, I guess. And we've talked about this before. I think when we talked about Root, yep. putting on theme and artwork and how that can draw more people in, it kind of acts as an anti-gatekeeper, the more kind of diverse art that you have. Oh, definitely. The more beautiful it is, the more people you're going to get in that door to that game. To try it out, even people who have never thought about playing a game before. Like, I would totally, I think I would have gotten into board games a lot sooner and easier if, like, half the board games back when I started getting into games were, like, medieval theme. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just had no interest to me. Yeah, which is understandable. And so once you start growing your collection of more prettier games that I liked, 
Then Baz and I really start to get sucked into the hobby for good or bad. We're good. For good right now. Once we run out of like room in the house for anything, then bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap up the question of this episode. Hopefully, Jennifer, that answers um, kind of, I guess, it's you know, it's a question, but I guess hopefully that answers what games we like to just look at more than we actually like to play. And it gives you a little bit more of a feel for the things we like in terms of artwork and stuff like that. I've already covered the Patreon backers and or Patreon. Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh, my brain. I am fried tonight. Uh, my brain is just done. I'm not even done with this beer yet. Woo, it's okay. I think that covers everything we need to shout out. If you have a question you want us to answer, a topic for us to cover, or a game you want us to look at, send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. If you want to find us on any social media, you can look for us at Malthouse Games. If you want to find me personally, I am at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K, because I'm unoriginal. Haley is at... S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. At Squirrely Geek. Which was a name given to me by Grandma Joyce. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she called me Squirrely all the time. No, oh, well... She called me Squirrely, but... My mom gave me my Twitter handle. Ah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had like a little bit of that like, wow, 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 since those were so similar. Absolutely beautiful. That's harmony. <laughs> a little bit. We probably just blew more listeners' eardrums, and now they're not going to listen, and we're just... We're losing everyone. We lost like 40 listeners this episode. Ugh. We only have like three left. Hi, Jesse and Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, I think that covers everything, though. Thank you so much for listening to episode, we never even said it, 58 of the podcast. 58. I'm pretty sure I never said 58. I was actually realized I was going to say something during the Kickstarter thing, and it just, uh, I'm not going to back any Kickstarters right now because I got to finish my tattoo color next month. That I was going to say that, so I will be, I still haven't posted a picture of my tattoo. Away. I haven't posted a picture of my tattoo because I'm waiting to get the color done, and I get the color done in like just over two weeks from when this episode releases, and then I will post a picture of that. I forgot to mention that. That's why I'm not backing Kickstarters right now. It's a big ass tattoo. It is, but it's okay. A big ass tattoo. It's not on my ass. It's You're fine. You're to see a picture of Dalton's ass. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.